Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55, 11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible. This is Josh. I am so excited that you joined me on this podcast. We are making our way through Matthew as we're journeying through the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 2 through 12, commonly known as the Beatitudes. We've been on the Beatitudes for uh, for several episodes now, and this episode is the last one on the Beatitudes before we continue to make our way through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. If this is something you enjoy, I just invite you to share on your social media channels, uh, share with your friends, uh, rate, review, all those uh, cool things that we like you to do. Uh, that just uh, spreads the word and, and allows us to reach more audience because we believe that the word of God will go forth. And when it does, it does not return void, but it does accomplish what God purposed it to do. So tonight we are in Matthew 5, verse 2 through 12. Again, we're finishing up the Beatitudes. So as always, I'm just going to start off by reading, uh, reading the passage. Matthew 5, 2 through 12. And he, speaking of Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This final beatitude introduces us to a concept that pervades the entire New Testament and Christian history. And that is, this world does not accept the message of the kingdom. Right? The Beatitudes, the whole Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus teaching on the kingdom that he is bringing, the kingdom of heaven that he is bringing to earth. We have spent the first nine verses of Matthew 5 discussing the flourishing state that kingdom righteousness brings us. And, and now we are suddenly forced to come to grips with the reality that persecution and suffering are to be expected as members of this kingdom Jesus is ushering in. Jesus very, very succinctly lets us know that persecution and suffering is to be an expected part of our existence as we follow him. Now, as we as we think about that and as we ponder that, and obviously we'll talk about that over the next next few minutes, it's important for us to remember the Makarios understanding of blessed. We think of blessing and blessed as as a as something that we were given, and it is something that we receive that makes us feel good, 
right? But that's not that's not the connotation that makarios, the the Greek word for blessed here in the Beatitudes, is is getting across, right? Uh, the makarios is a state of flourishing. It's it's not anything received. It's it's a state of flourishing regardless of the circumstances around us. And so, as we look at this and we read, blessed are those who are persecuted, and blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted, and when people speak evil against you, right? What? How? How can we? How can we relate blessed with that, right? If we are thinking blessed in the common understanding of the word blessed, it doesn't make sense. And we really we really can't tie those two together. But when we understand blessing as makarios, it is the state of flourishing, then we understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, we are flourishing. We are in a state of flourishing. We remain in the state of flourishing even when we are persecuted, even and in spite of are suffering. If we misunderstand the blessedness that Jesus is talking about, we'll not grasp the possibility of of being blessed, not only in our suffering and rejection from the world, but really because of it. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Notice also Jesus says, blessed are you who are, and blessed are you when. He doesn't say, blessed are you who might be, or Blessed are you if you are mistreated or persecuted. Right? Mistreatment of the people of God is a given this side of eternity. We should expect it. We should prepare for it. We should be ready for it. Following Jesus costs us something. Our decision to subject ourselves to the kingship of Jesus, and this is why it sets us in direct opposition to the system of the world. John Piper says it like this, The root of persecution is they, meaning the people outside of God's kingdom, they love something other than Jesus, and they must justify their love of that. They justify themselves by vilifying right, end quote. When we follow Jesus, and when we accept his kingship, and we place ourselves in submission to his authority, We are setting ourselves up against the worldly system. Thus, we are going to be mistreated by that system. There's there's really no if. There is a when. Now, our degree of this is going to differ based on our context. Those of us in America, we really don't grasp persecution to the level that people in many other parts of the world do. But it's coming. Right, but the Apostle John said this in 1 John 3 and 13. He said, Do not be surprised that the world hates you. Jesus maintains this theme in John 19 and 19. He says, If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. When we come to Christ, when we submit ourselves to him and we enter this kingdom that Jesus is talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount as we've talked about through the Beatitudes and as we will continue to do so throughout the next uh, two chapters of uh, two and a half chapters of, of, of Matthew, we understand that coming into the kingdom of God sets us in direct opposition to the system of the world. And that is not a neutral system. The system of the world is set in direct contrast and contradiction to the kingdom of God. But why does the New Testament talk so much? If, if you read the whole New Testament, 
this thought of persecution, this thought of suffering is extremely pervasive. It's extremely pervasive throughout the entirety of the New Testament. And not only that, it's extremely pervasive throughout the entirety of the 2,000 years of church history since, since the death of Christ. Persecution is something that has been very, very much a part of, of the Christian walk. So why does the New Testament talk so much about this? Well, persecution in the moment looks a lot like losing. Right, you can you can read the the Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I've I've done uh, several times, and as you, as you do, you 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 come across these people who are mistreated and who are tortured and who are killed, all because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And in the moment, that looks like losing. Right, and those those of us in America, we don't really have to worry about that. A, a lot of ours is just simply verbal. Just people think we're bigots and this, that, and the other. Right, we're we're labeled with something that we're that we're really not. But in the moment, even those things look a lot like losing. In what other context can we say around the world that we are vilified, we are treated unjustly? We are killed. We are imprisoned. Our places of worship are burned to the ground. Our belief system is labeled as bigoted and intolerant. Hey guys, we're winning the scorecard, right? Right. In what other context can we say all those things and also claim in the same statement that we're winning? That's why the New Testament talks so much about it because in the moment it feels and looks a lot like losing. Were it not for the amount of material in the New Testament on persecution, we would not be able to say, hey, guys, we're winning, because we wouldn't know. But God has gifted us with his word, and in his word we have this expectation, so we can see it going on and not despair. We can see Christians around the world who are imprisoned. I just read an article this morning on the Christians in Nigeria and, and just how they are being killed and slaughtered daily for their faith. We can look at that and we can say, hey, we're winning. He doesn't just tell us it's going to happen. He tells us that when it does, it's a sign that we're on the right path. And he tells us what is on the other side for us. And, and we'll, we'll talk more about that later. But, but man, the hope of heaven is so central. To, it's so central to this idea of persecution and suffering. So the New Testament talks about it so much because, again, in the moment it looks like losing. And so God wants to make it very clear that, no, it's not losing. It's actually quite the opposite. And by communicating it so frequently, we're not caught off guard when it happens. This is, this is why if you, if you listen to the false gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity, right? This, this doesn't make sense. We can't read Matthew 5, 10, 11, and, uh, verse 10, 11, and 12 and say, hey, yep, that's part of the Christian experience. Well, it is. And Jesus tells us it because he doesn't want us caught off guard when it happens. Paul states in 2 Timothy 3 and 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 12 through 16 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter here, he's saying, hey, don't be surprised when it happens. And don't look at it as if it's something strange. Hey, this shouldn't be happening. What's going on? Right? It's something we need to expect. 
But he continues in verse 13. He says, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted, he continues, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What, what a passage on persecution. What a passage on suffering that, that Peter is bringing out to us. He's, you know what? Don't be surprised, guys. And don't look at it as, as if something's strange. It's, it is, this is what's going to happen to us. And when it happens, rejoice because you're sharing in Christ's suffering. And rejoice because one day you're going to see the final victory and you're going to see God's glory revealed. He, can, he, he says, hey, don't, don't suffer wrongly, right? If you do something wrong, you deserve the consequences of your actions. But if you are suffering for righteousness, if you are suffering because you're a Christian, there's no need to be ashamed. There's no need to hang your head. But you glorify God in that moment. right? What, what, what a passage that, that Peter brings to us there on persecution. Right, so going back to the the beatitudes, right? Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Jesus tells us we're, we're gonna. There, there's a couple things that we can expect. There, there's a couple attitudes that we can expect from the world towards us. There's a couple actions that we can anticipate that we're gonna have to 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 face or or happen to us, right? He 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 uses the word reviled. What, what does that mean? Reviled in, in the dictionary, if you look it up, it's, it's to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. It's to destroy one's reputation. Now, this, this, this is one of those that us in America, we're, we're beginning to see this, right? We're, we're, we're beginning to grasp this word reviled. We're beginning to feel... Uh, feel this still still not up to par with with what uh, a lot of the world is up to but but we're beginning to feel this word right people hate us without cause people speak evil of against us uh, uh, speak evil against us falsely people try to ruin our reputations a a certain baker in colorado comes to mind uh when, when, I, when I think about this right we, we we are beginning to understand what it means to be reviled we are beginning to understand what it means to uh, not be in the popular crowd uh, culturally, right? We're, we're beginning to grasp this. It's to be expected. Again, back to Peter. Don't be surprised. Don't look at it as if something strange is happening to you. This is going to happen. And when you do, rejoice in glory in the name of Jesus when you do. Right? Jesus tells us we're going to be reviled. Jesus tells us we are going to be persecuted. We are going to be subject to hostility and ill treatment. We are going to be singled out for harassment. We are going to be treated wrong. It is going to happen. Expect it. Anticipate it. Know that it will happen because we are holding onto faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said that they're going to utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. We will be slandered. We will be labeled by the world with whatever label they want to put on us. If it's bigoted, if it's intolerant, whatever label they want to put on, they're going to put on. And there's nothing that we can do about it. Jesus says, hey, expect it. This is going to happen. 
But allow me to to stress the falsely that that Jesus uh, states here. He says they're going to utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. We we we, we got to make sure that falsely stays there, right? We got to make sure we're not giving them any any uh, any wood for the fire, right? We got to make sure that we are conducting ourselves with honor and we are conducting ourselves in holiness so that when the system of the world does come against us and speak evil of us we want to make sure that that falsely label applies right we can go over to the book of luke and and luke's uh description of the beatitudes he just adds some little details in here that that i just love in luke chapter 6 verse 22 the same beatitude he says it this way uh, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, right? When people hate you and when they exclude you, as we're, there are going to be things in the future that we're going to be left out of because of our faith. Again, something us in America haven't really experienced, something we've not really had to had to be a part of or have to endure, but but it's coming. There, there's going to be things that, that we may want to do, but we can't because of our faith. Expect it. Expect it. Anticipate it. And don't look at it as a strange thing. Again, back to the words of Peter. This idea of hate and exclusion and viewing the people of God's kingdom as the, as the evil ones, it's, it's pervasive in persecution and its propagation throughout history. You, you look back through Christian history and mislabeling Christians as the hateful ones. It's, it's, it's not something new. It's not something that, that new that we're seeing in this postmodern world that we're living in. It's not something new. It's a ploy the enemy has used quite frequently throughout history. Right? And I want us to grasp that this persecution, that this suffering that Jesus talks about, it is, un, it is inherently unjust. It is inherently unfair. When you suffer for righteousness sake, when you are persecuted for the name of Jesus, that is by, by definition unjust and unfair. And yet, we're told to walk in integrity. And yet, we're told we're, we're not to retaliate, right? We're going to talk about, talk about a little bit uh, of that here in a little bit. But, right, it's inherently unjust and unfair. But remember... And here's where we're going to land the plane at the end. we got to remember the temporal holds not even a candle to the light and the glory of the eternal. The temporal cannot compare to the eternal. Here's, here's something we need to understand. Right? We're, we're, we're not truly the recipients of the hate and persecution. When people look at us and say, hey, you, you, you are bigoted because of your beliefs, because you believe this, that, and the other, that, that the Bible is very clear on, you're, you're bigoted and you're intolerant. We're, we're not truly the recipients of this hate. We're not truly the recipients of this persecution. Though we, we experience it in first person as if it were directed towards us, right? Here in our temporal existence, we will experience it firsthand. And so it feels very personal, but we need to understand that all of it is truly directed at Jesus. All of it is truly directed at Jesus. John 7, 7 says this. It says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Right? The world cannot hate you, it hates me, Jesus said. In John 15, verse 18 through 21. 
He says this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. We are not truly the recipients of the hate and the vilification and the persecution around the world that happens to Christians. It's not truly us. It is Jesus that they are doing it to. Right? We can look at the conversion of Saul in the book of Acts chapter 9. We, we, we first meet Saul at the stoning of Stephen and, and then we are, are told that Saul was very, he was vehemently against the church. He went out and, and was arresting people left and right because of, of, of their claiming faith in, in this Jesus. He was against the church. He was persecuting them daily. And, and Saul, he, he goes, he's on the way to Damascus to arrest the Christians. And, and Jesus appears to him and he falls, right, falls off his horse. He's blind by the light and 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 jesus talks to him right and what does jesus say in acts chapter 9 verse 4 he looks at him he says saul saul why are you persecuting me right so we see here that jesus is taking all of the persecution that saul was committing against the christians jesus was taking it personally so i think that's 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 encouraging for us is when we're vilified for our faith when we are persecuted for our faith, when we suffer for the name of Christ, he takes it personally. It's him. And here's this really interesting thing about what Jesus says here in Matthew, and it's said so many times throughout the New Testament, as we'll see. He doesn't just simply say, hey, blessed are you when you're persecuted. Just hang on and you'll be all right. Blessed are you when you're reviled and people speak evil against you. Just just, just hold on. Just endure. There's going to be a, there, there, there's a great promise at the end of the road. Just hang on. You'll be okay. Right? That, that's not what Jesus says. And that is not the message we see throughout the New Testament. But rather, he continues in verse 12 of Matthew 5. He says, rejoice and be glad. Wow. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, right? Hey, blessed are you, right? Right. This we're we're already kind of stretching our our thought process in in understanding that we're blessed when we're persecuted, right? That that's already in itself a bit of a, str- a stretch for us mentally, right? We 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 already ha- are having a little bit of a difficult time grasping that we can flourish in the state of persecution, that we can flourish in uh, under this, this suffering. And, and yet Jesus takes it a step farther and says, hey, you're blessed when you're persecuted, and when you are persecuted, rejoice and be glad about it. Wow. Luke 6, 22 and 23. Again, this is, this is uh, Luke's description of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. What does he say here? He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. I'm not, I'm not sure I can describe any instance of me leaping for joy because someone hated on me because of my faith, Right? That doesn't make sense in our, in our carnal minds. It doesn't make sense. And yet we see in Scripture 
that this is the expected response. This is the expected, the expected actions of us who believe when, when we are vilified and hated and, and persecuted. Rejoice. Acts 5.41, it's a description of, of the early church, and they have just been brought before the council, and they've, you know, they were imprisoned, and they've just been released by the council. In verse 41 of Acts 5, it says, They left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoice. They were rejoicing. Again, I'm just, I'm just captured by some of the stories, in, in, particularly in Fox's Book of Martyrs. I'm just captured by some of the stories as you read it of these men and women who are facing a horrific death and they're rejoicing that they get to suffer for the name of Christ. These men and women who are being tied to a stake and they're about to be burnt alive and they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing that they get to suffer for the name of Christ. And yet here we are in America where, where we don't have to worry about that. And, and, and we, we, get our, we get upset if someone calls us a name. Right? Someone posts something on Facebook and it, and it, and it just gets us all, all up, in, a, all up in, a, uh, in an uproar. Scripture is clear. We rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our persecution. Romans 5.3 says this, We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Again, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He found contentment in that. And just as a side note, Philippians 4.13, one of the misapplied scriptures in all, all the scripture, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's he talking about there? He's talking about, hey, I, I've, I've learned to face plenty. I've learned to face nothing. I've learned to face persecution with contentment. Right, Colossians 1 and 24, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, right? Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Hebrews 10, 32-34 But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Isn't that what Jesus promised, right? He continues, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. You had compassion on those in prison. And, and don't miss this next sentence. He says, you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. These, these people that the writer of Hebrews is talking about they joyfully accepted being plundered. They joyfully endured. They joyfully accepted the persecution and the suffering. Why? Because they knew there was something better on the other side. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
1 Peter 4.13, we've already read it, but I just want to pull this out again. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so we see, and, and this is just a sampling, this is just a sampling throughout the New Testament of, of this idea of rejoicing in our sufferings. Again, something that does not make sense to our carnal minds. Something that does not, it's, it's hard to compute. But why do we do this? Why is the New Testament insistent that we rejoice in the middle of suffering? Well, well, we, we see a couple things throughout these, these verses that I read. Right, one thing, we, we can rejoice in the middle of suffering because we understand that we receive something we would not have otherwise. We understand that suffering produces something in us that nothing else can. James 1 and 2 puts it as steadfastness, right? The, the, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, right? Uh, Romans 5, 3 says endurance. Testing of your faith, the trial of your faith, it, it produces endurance. We understand that when, when our faith is tested, when we suffer, when we are persecuted for our faith, God is building something within us through our suffering. God is building something within us through our suffering that would not be able to be there or happen or, or become part of who we are without these moments of suffering. We can look at the we can look at the story of Job and Job was a, was an Old Testament saint, right? He he loved the Lord and in one day all of his possessions were taken away. All of his possessions, his 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 wealth was taken away. His his kids were killed. And in yet another day, he lost his health and he lay in bed extremely ill, extremely sick. And, and you read the book of Job and he has a lot of questions and he asks God, why is this happening? What, what, what's going on? And, and really God's, God's response is hey, it's like, hey, I'm the one in control. You don't understand it all. Just trust me. Right. And at the, at the end of it, God gives Job back double of everything that he had. He gives him back his health. And at the end of the story, we understand that Job had a greater knowledge of who God was as Redeemer than he had had before. We can look at a passage in, in the Gospels, and, and Jesus looks at, at Peter, and he says, Hey, you know, Satan has requested you that I may sift you as, as wheat, but I've prayed for you that when you come on the, out on the other side, you, you, can, you can give your brothers some, some, some advice, essentially, is what, is what Jesus is saying, right? The, the, the suffering, the persecution, the stuff that we go through for our faith, it produces something in us that is not there before and that can happen no other way. And we're, so we rejoice in that. So we can rejoice that, hey, this suffering, this persecution that I'm enduring, I can rejoice in it because it's producing something in me that wasn't there. It's producing a holiness that wasn't there. It's producing a steadfastness that, that wasn't there. It's producing an endurance that, that wasn't there. It's, it's producing something that wasn't there. And I can rejoice in that. We also can rejoice in the middle of suffering because we know the hope of heaven comes after the suffering. We'll touch on this a little bit more at, at, at the end, but, but suffice it to say for now that hanging on to the hope of heaven, we can rejoice in that because whatever happens, whatever happens this side of eternity, whatever happens th uh, this side of the Jordan, it, it, it doesn't matter in light of eternity. The temporal, it, it doesn't matter in light of eternity if I'm with Jesus. Right? So we can rejoice in the middle. 
but I, but I, I think the New Testament goes even a step further, and it's not just necessarily rejoicing in the middle of suffering, but it is rejoicing in the suffering itself. I, I think we see this concept in Scripture that, that we are to rejoice in the suffering itself. Now, how can I say that? What, what, what is God getting across? Right? It, it seems rather sadistic to say, hey, rejoice in the suffering itself. But when we read, as, as several of the passages that I read bring out, we can rejoice in the suffering itself because we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I rejoice. I rejoice in my sufferings because I know that I am sharing in the afflictions of Christ. I am sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And oh, just to share something with Him, that, that, that is reason to rejoice. To share something of Him is reason to rejoice. And so I can, I can rejoice in my sufferings because I know that Jesus is sharing it with me. Right? Remember, right back, back to that whole concept that when we suffer, it's, it's Jesus who is being persecuted. It is Jesus who is being hated on. It is Jesus who is being vilified. We are just the vessel that, that is passing through. Right? So we, we know that, that when we suffer for faith, He is right alongside of us, suffering with us in that sense. And so we rejoice because we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. The, the idea with this all is that simple endurance is not enough. We, we don't just grit our teeth and hang on, but the grace of God is so great. The hope of heaven is so magnificent. The power of the Holy Spirit is so compelling that we don't have to settle for just getting by, but we can, as Jesus tells us in Luke. We can leap for joy in the midst of persecution. We can rejoice in the face of whatever circumstance. We can have joy no matter what my situation may be. I can have joy in sorrow. I can rejoice in pain. I, I, I can celebrate the fact that I get to live my life for Jesus. Right? Our patience in persecution our grace under pressure, our self-control in the midst of suffering, our love for those who speak evil of us, our, our prayers for those who set themselves against us. All of these work together to paint a picture of the gospel change in our lives. What, what better picture is there than one of where I'm being mistreated, I'm being hated on, I'm being vilified, I'm, I'm being persecuted, and I respond with, with joy and love. What better picture of the power of the gospel to change our lives than, than those moments? Those moments speak volumes to those who are watching. Our response to all of this, all of any hatred and suffering for the faith, our response speaks volumes to those who are watching. Again, back to the Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's, it's again just so incredible to read the number of times that a person is being persecuted they're being they're being put to death and their response the the response is so great that the ones committing the act of persecution come to the faith and accept Christ because of what they saw Jesus ends this beatitude by ensuring that our blessed state, our flourishing in suffering, 
is reality, right? Again, that doesn't make sense to our carnal minds, right? It, it, it's hard to compute that, hey, I'm, I'm blessed, I'm suffering. But Jesus makes sure we, we grasp why, because the reality is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? We, we, we rejoice because we are focused on the eternal, not the temporal. Our temporal suffering is setting us up for an eternity of bliss, right? Our temporal suffering the, the pains of this life can't hold a candle to the joys of eternity. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, it says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Wow. Right? We don't lose heart. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You want to know how we can rejoice in the middle of suffering? You want to know how you can rejoice when you're being hated and we are, we are being vilified and, and, and labels are being put on us that, that we know are not true? We can do so because we know on the other side there waits a crown of glory that, that is going to be placed upon us because we remained faithful. Persecution is not fair. Suffering for the name of Jesus is hard and again, the reality is, those of us in America, we don't even really know what it's like. We don't even really know what it's like. But I am a firm believer that it is coming. I am a firm believer that, that it's on its way. Why? Well, because persecution does a couple great things for the church. Right? Persecution purges the church. If, if you're not if you're not in this thing for the right reason right if 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 this whole following Christ thing is is not really real but it's you have some ulterior motive you're not gonna suffer for that right you're you're, you're not gonna you're not going to endure persecution for that and so persecution purges the church and and we we, we need a purging we need a purging I, I I spoke to a Romanian friend a couple months ago He's a, um, he, he lives there in Romania. I met him through a mutual friend in South Carolina. And we just despaired for a few moments of the message that is coming out of America. Right? This health, this wealth, this prosperity, this, this, this gospel uh, that really doesn't reflect the gospel of Scripture. This, this gospel, right? And he, he said something. He said, Jesus loves you is not the gospel. And it's not. It's part of the gospel. And it's reason for the gospel. But the gospel is that we are all sinners. And we stand before a just God. Who demands payment for our sin. But the beauty of it is. He loves us so much. That he sent his son. To die for us. To take the penalty. For our sin. And so that we can stand before the father. Clean and righteous. Just as Jesus. Because of Jesus. Persecution is not fair. It purges the church. 
and it also causes the church to spread. God, help us to stay faithful. God, help us to be faithful. Help us to be the the people of God that, that He needs. Help us to be the people of God that He desires. Help us to stay strong. Help us to rejoice. No matter the circumstances. I'm going to end with this quote by John Piper. This is kind of a summary of, of, of a, a teaching of his, so it's not a direct quote, but it's, it's a summary of the thoughts that he brought, brought out. It says, God uses persecution to further his mission. Our faithfulness, though it may bring trouble, in many cases cause our worst critics to turn into brothers and sisters, showing that the word, the gospel, that sometimes brings persecution always brings joy. So let's pray. Jesus, I I am grateful for your word. And I'm grateful that you have let us know from the very beginning what it means to follow you. You have laid it out very clear for us that it is going to cost us something to follow you. Help us to count the cost to set it all aside and follow you with everything that we are, Jesus. When persecution comes, if we're vilified and we're hated against, we can rejoice because we have been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. May we rejoice in that day and may we look forward with anticipation for the end of time when we get to spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.